as Brother Orville finished his explanation and application of Psalm 120, he closed with Romans 14 and verse 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. We want to build each other up, and part of the way that we do that is to allow them their liberties and to restrain ours for their profit. I mentioned Christian schools, and I mentioned the schooling option, the the decision to choose what kind of schooling you're going to provide for your children. I mentioned that, but I did not properly or fully emphasize the fact that there is a movement afoot, and we have had it in our midst. I don't know of it being here now, but we have had it. And that is homeschooling is the only acceptable way to educate your children. And where does it teach that in the Bible? You say, well, it says something about when a father riseth up and when he sitteth down. Yes, and can you show me that that's applied to uh, mathematics and literature and grammar and the academic subjects? Or is that telling your children about the great things God had done for them by bringing them out of Israel and all the miracles that He had performed in the wilderness and giving them the land of Canaan? And the wise rules of morality that God gave Israel that other nations didn't have so that when they heard what the children of Israel were being taught, they would know that God was close to them. There's nothing there about academic subjects. That is the same lesson that is taught in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is spiritual instruction. God doesn't care if a father assigns a tutor to teach his children. In fact, he uses that illustration in Galatians chapter 4 that a father can take a child and assign him to a tutor to teach him those academic subjects. We do not rule on that. We allow family members in this church their liberty. But we have had those among us who required homeschooling. And if you didn't homeschool, you were sinning. That is not taught in the Bible. And we allow a liberty on that subject. I was reminded at break time that at Bob Jones University, that if you were going to play poker, you couldn't play poker with playing cards. You played poker with rook cards. Isn't that creative? I was reminded at break time, and I appreciate this reminder. I appreciated the others as well. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 19 through 31 are the verses about Christian liberty. But the five verses in front of verse 19 is about the Lord's Supper, the cup of blessing which we bless, and the bread that we break in 1 Corinthians 10. And you read in the update, the preparatory email that I sent out yesterday, that though I was postponing the Lord's Supper because of so many missing and it being a congregational ordinance, I was also reluctant a little bit myself to mix Christian liberty with the Lord's Supper And a a faithful brother reminded me that in 1 Corinthians 10, the two are next to each other in context. I stand corrected and improved again, and I enjoy every bit of it. All that matters is truth and knowing God's Word and dealing with it faithfully and fully. And I'm thankful for that. I hope you appreciate that as well. College education. There is nothing in the Bible that says either sex must get a college degree to please God. It is wrong and cruel when teenagers question or push another youth that may be taking a different course. Do you hear me? You young people that are going to college, you better not be bugging, disturbing, despising, or pushing, or questioning anyone that's not going to college. It's none of your business. They've probably chosen the wiser course for their lives. I'm sorry that you're wasting your time in an institution of lesser learning. You say, why are you talking that way about college? Just to make sure that we have a a level playing field. Let's all be kind to one another. Let's all encourage one another. Because another father, different than your father, may have made a choice for his daughter or for his son that is different than your father made for his daughter or son. Please allow them that liberty. Every father has the right to direct his children of either sex to college or away from college. It's not a requirement of the Word of God. I'd rather have a child grow up that fears God and loves Him with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength that never made it to college than one that made it to college and is just a carnal Christian. 
There right. isn't even a comparison in my mind. I don't care about earnings power. I care about righteousness power. I want my children to grow up to love God and to live righteous lives, to fear Him, to love Him and to love others. That's the measure that makes, that's the only measure that makes my heart happy and my mind happy and the heart and mind of my wife about our children and our grandchildren. I hope that's true of everyone here so that the choice of college education is totally insignificant. I hope those that lack understanding and think that there's a great deal of value in a college education will remember that a wife may contribute the most of any woman in here with a GED. You know, God gives ability, God gives opportunity, and God calls for diligence. And you give me ability, opportunity, and diligence with or without a college education, and you'll see a whole lot more produced than with a college education where they're lacking in any one of those three things. Let's be fair with our church and let's be fair with our young people and not put any pressure on them to where they feel second class because a young girl may be raised thinking that I want to be a mother and a wife, not in that order, but I want to be a wife and a mother as soon as I can and I don't really care about a college education. I don't like book learning. I'll work as hard as I can. I'll save as much money as I can to help my husband. And if a father has approved of that course, we should all approve of it with him. Oh, here we go. Cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic surgery. If you condemn one form of it, I'm going to be after you because you're going to condemn all forms of it. For Scripture doesn't help you on either side. Braces. Why aren't you happy with the teeth that God gave you? God gave them to you. Crooked. Pierced ears. Mole removal. Do you know who gave you that mole? God gave you that mole, and why would you take it off? You are less than what God designed you to be. Eye surgery. Some of you are getting laser beams beamed into your eyeballs. God gave you that as your thorn in the flesh. And you should be thankful for it and say that God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. I hope all of you know that I'm, though quoting Scripture, and misquoting it like some people do. Those of you with varicose veins, if you can have them removed, that's cosmetic surgery. You better be fair. If someone walks in here with some form of cosmetic surgery that you think is vain, how can you justify some and not others? You say, well, breast implants would just be going too far. Well, that's the only cosmetic surgery that has Bible verses in favor of it. (laughs) Can I prove that with the Bible? Do you all trust a King James Bible? Then it's Song of Solomon, chapter 8. And yes, I have given this to a plastic surgeon. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. It amazes me how that we we can decide that these particular things are acceptable and these particular things are vanity. Well, why do you have to have perfect teeth that are all white? That's vanity. What's wrong with that mole on the end of your nose? God made you that way. If He didn't like it that way, He wouldn't have made you that way. Or did He make you that way and then give you witty inventions to make yourself a different way? Because He gave us those witty inventions. I hope that you all can rejoice in this, these things and just realize that our unity is in Christ. Song of Solomon chapter 8, verse 8. Here we go. Two great verses to go on the wall of a cosmetic surgeon and on his business card as well. We have a little sister and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Like it or lump it. That's the Word of God. You say, that's vanity. Every bit of cosmetic surgery is vanity. You're trying to make yourself look better than God made you. But does that mean that we have to be as ugly as He made us with the first pass? If we have options to do something different? I just want us to be fair and consistent. 
So that when somebody comes in here and you know that they've had an alteration of their body in whatever way, whether it's mole removal or, you know, they took away their double chin or they did, they changed their nose or they got rid of a mole or whatever they did, you can love them in the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you know what? None of that stuff matters. The Lord's going to glorify every single one of our bodies and he's going to change it more significantly than you can in a plastic surgeon's office. And we're going to be with him forever. I know, I hope that none of you are staggered by that but I've just got to be consistent with all these things. Dating. I've made it to the D's. The progress is enormous today. Dating or courting. Some have read a blog or a book or two and come to the conclusion that God only wants courting. Where is that in the Bible? God doesn't care how we connect and get together and get married as long as fathers are involved, and that we only marry in the Lord, and that we don't fornicate. I mean, there are, simp- there are simp- standards, and there are rules given in the New Testament, given in the Old Testament, by which we live. But it doesn't tell us how, whether it's by dating or courting. It doesn't tell us whether you have to use a parlor in your grandfather's house, like my grandfather had in his house, a parlor that was made for such things. It doesn't say... But some have read a blog or a book and they come to the conclusion that's the only way it can be done. It's not taught in the Bible. God doesn't care. Now my favorite way of getting together in the Bible is the 700 sons of Benjamin that didn't have wives. Because the whole nation had said, because this tribe was so wicked that they gave themselves over to sodomy, we are not going to let them marry any of our daughters. All 11 tribes said they may not have any of our daughters. Well, after they killed the entire tribe of Benjamin except for 700 men, they felt a little sorry for the tribe because they didn't want to lose a tribe of Israel and be down to 11 since God had given Israel 12. So they said, the men of Shiloh didn't come and help us in the battle. We know that every spring they have a dance. And they dance out in a particular field. And you guys, you 700, go hide yourself in the bushes. And when they get a dancing, you just reach out and grab one and take her home. When their fathers come to us and say, this has got to end. There's bush grabbing going on in Israel. We will say, you didn't come and help us in the battle. And we're not going to lose a tribe of Israel. Go home with your wives. And go home, fathers, and be content. That's in the Bible. Now, is that is that how we want to start doing it? Do not think that I am making a straw man. Or you do not know who has sat among us and who will sit among us. And some of the views they get from organizations that have planners that sit around and do nothing but come up with these ideas. They're not in the Bible. Should a father be, should a father be involved in, in who his children marries? Absolutely. And is that taught from this pulpit? Yeah. Yes, but only as far as the Bible teaches it. Lord, help us. Who cares how boys and girls meet as long as they marry in the Lord without fornication? You know, those, those rules are so simple and so limited, and that's what we want to focus on and nothing else. There's no courting in the Bible. as all kinds of means were used for men to get together. You know, when, when Samson wanted a wife, what did he do? There was, a note, there was a note at his dad's plate that morning for breakfast. Go get me one. Except he said, I want it from the Philistines. Remember? Mm-hmm. How about Abraham sending a servant to go get Rebekah for Isaac? Is that the way we want to do it? I wish it was that simple. But it's not. We're going to have liberty on that. Some may want to limit... I'll tell, I'll tell you guys a secret. When it comes to Christian liberty on this subject, if you want the daughter of a man who believes in courting, I would believe in courting at least for a while. <laughs> because you're going to have to to please him. You know, if when you have daughters, you don't believe in courting, but you believe in something else, then that's up to you and the Lord. Hast thou liberty, have it to thyself, and let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Well, let's really dip deep on this one. Online dating. Well, you've crossed the line now, Pastor. Online dating. You know, if you talked about it for very long and you thought about it honestly, in several respects, this is the safest and most objective way to find a spouse for marriage. In some respects, 
it's the most objective and safest way to do it. You know, I'd much rather have a child communicating with someone that is 700 miles away than is seven inches away at the youth meeting in some respects. It's a liberty as long as it's used within the bounds of Christian modesty, Christian purity, and Christian honesty. You would never misrepresent yourself. You would never do anything or say anything or imply anything that is impure. You would never show pictures or implications or any insinuations about yourself that would be immodest. But it's a very objective way in which you can deal with someone verbally without having the temptation of being in their presence you can, put, you can put a profile out there that is very scriptural, that is very spiritual, that will weed out all the dogs and the carnal Christians and leave only those that have a love for the Lord that are going to pass just your profile, let alone your first ten letters that are about your love for the Lord Jesus Christ and you're looking for a spouse that loves the Lord Jesus Christ as much. Right. Can you imagine that there might be Christians a little uncomfortable with online dating? You imagined well. How about daycares? Daycares of Christian liberty? Most of the women in the Bible with means had daycares. Mm-hmm. What were they called? Maids, handmaidens, nurses. Did they have those in the Bible? Yep. Many Bible women had, handmaiden, had handmaidens for their infants. So do not worship children and child care. Even Ruth. Remember Naomi and Ruth? Who took care of... Obed. <coughs> Naomi did. Who was the birth mother? Ruth. Together they made a great team. And two women are better than one when it comes to a whole lot of things like that. If you read the Bible, they provide leverage and they provide a more efficient wife who can do more things. However, it's a, it's a wonderful thing and it's a godly thing. And a woman can raise her children and not use a daycare. It's a matter of Christian liberty. Remember, my point is not to preach about daycares. My point is, can you love somebody who uses a daycare when you don't like daycares? Can you love somebody who allows babysitting more for their children than you allow babysitting for your children? The Bible is silent about diapers and nursing to be done by a mother, so it's a liberty. It just doesn't tell us the details, but it tells us that they often had had handmaidens and nurses. Exercise of this liberty should include basic due diligence and precautions so that you have a good one and that you are taking care of your children and protecting them. That's just part of prudence as taught in the Bible. I hope that you can all love each other if one uses a daycare and another doesn't. Right. You know, eventually we're all going to use daycares. Everyone uses daycares. Everyone in here has used daycares for their children. They're called schools. It's just a big daycare. Yep. They have lunchtime. They have recess. They have playtime. They have to put their papers neat and in order. It's a daycare. College is just a big daycare. Get my colleges, get my get my kids a professional skill. I'll send them to the daycare for four years. Under the instruction and care of someone else. You say, well. They're older when they're 18. Yes, they are older. That's true. But what does that older mean? And where in the Bible is the cutoff? As long as you're taking care of them and making sure that they're brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they are taught to fear God, and you are loving them as, as a father, and you are loving them as a mother. You're doing all that that the Bible does teach in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Proverbs chapter 31, that you're taking care of their every need. Diapers. You knew I was going to get to this. I had to get to it. It's in the D's. Diapers. Let's be fair. I do not know of a church that is split over this liberty issue. However, I have seen and heard such zeal about it that you would think it belongs in Romans fourteen seventeen. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy, and diapers made of cloth that mommy gets to wash repeatedly in the Holy Ghost. And I'm not making fun of either side. You know why? Because I've used both sides. Do you know how many arguments I can bring to bear against cloth diapers? Longer than you can bring arguments to bear for them. Do you know how many arguments I can bring to bear for cloth diapers? More than the arguments you can bring to bear against them. Do you know what that means? 
It means ask no question for conscience sake. Don't go online and type in cloth or disposable because you're going to have to read for the next three months. And you know what you're going to have to read? Other ignoramuses like you that have wanted to express their opinion to the world. It's just your opinion. Right. You say, but babies, babies in disposable diapers get diaper rash at a higher frequency. Have you done a statistical and probability analysis of that and proven it? How many children have you had and proven it on both sides? Let me back up. I want to back up to circumcision. I want to back up to circumcision. You say, what does that have to do with diapers? Well, you better put a diaper on carefully after you've had a baby boy circumcised. That's what it has to do with each other. But not really. Circumcision. Think with me. Is there a scientific basis for believing in circumcision? Eighth day. Clotting principles of the blood. Is there a difference in cervical cancer rates between Jewish women and Gentile women? Is there? Oh, yes, there is. Do Jewish women have less occurrences of cervical cancer because their husbands are all circumcised than other women whose husbands are not? Definitely. Everyone knows that. It's true. You know, that one out of a thousand, if your husband isn't circumcised, could eventually reach out and bite you. Is there a biblical basis for circumcision? Is there a biblical basis for it? 2,000 years. Here's how the mind works when you want to justify something that you have a particular interest in. If it was good enough for God, it's good enough for me and my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because it was good enough for God. If it was in the Bible required for 2,000 years, and I thank the brethren that met with me at break time and talked about some of these things. If it's in the Bible, and it was required of God's people for 2,000 years, then there must be some benefits that modern science has not yet identified. That is how people work. That is how they think, that is how they talk to me, and that is how they write me emails. When we get to the New Testament and the Bible says, circumcision is nothing. Now that is Bible doctrine. I don't care about clotting principles on the eighth day. Do you know why God put clotting principles on the eighth day? To cover his people for 2,000 years before he ended circumcision. Are you with me on how people will reason? Are you with me? And understand, I don't want your mind doing that on any one of these subjects. And so I'm going through this example with you in detail. Is there a scientific basis to circumcise? The principle of the clotting on the eighth day, is there another scientific principle? Yes, it's medical statistical analysis of cervical cancer among those with circumcised or uncircumcised husbands. Is there a biblical basis for it? Is there a hidden basis for it? Whatever a hidden basis is, but there must be. But do you know what the Bible says? It doesn't matter, and it's entirely a matter of liberty. Right. When we come to diapers, it's entirely a matter of liberty. I don't care what arguments you can come up with for cloth diapers. I'll come up with them for disposable diapers. Do you know that there's, there's a principle like this? This principle, this principle is for disposable diapers. It's Matthew 12, 7. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Oh, why do you worry about things like that? Just feed the child so that you need a diaper. Help the child get out of diapers by potty training them early. But let's not worry about what we wrap them in. You say, but the baby Jesus, he was in a cloth diaper. Yes, and I hear a woman saying, blessed are the paps that he sucked and the womb that gave birth to him. We had the first Mary Oliter. Don't go down that road. Can we grow up? Anybody past the third grade should not have an issue about diapers except in private. You can do whatever you want in private. I've done it both ways. I know what it's like to have a stink bomb in a house called a diaper bucket. You say you're, you're giving your personal opinion. No, I, I did it both ways. 
I know you did it both ways, Pastor, but you're giving your opinion. I don't want to. I'm just trying to avoid it a little bit. As in all matters of liberty, a person can construct a nearly infinite argument for their view. But that doesn't prove anything. If you need ten pages to prove that you ought to use cloth diapers yourself, then if that's what it takes for you to fulfill Romans 14.6, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind, then you write yourself all these arguments for everything that you do. But we don't want to hear about them. Don't send them to us. We don't want to read them. And if you love disposable diapers and you hate cloth diapers, we don't want to hear from you either because that's crusading and that's doubtful disputations. Can you, the mother that loves handling cloth diapers, love the sister that uses throwaways? That's the issue. Can you respect her without despising her for using a modern, convenient alternative? Can you stop internet research to find other women like you holding your extreme view? So we go on. Doctors. Some couples are convicted. Listen to this. This, this, These are issues that I've faced in 30 years of being a pastor. And before that. Because I like to ask lots of questions and I like to get involved in all kinds of discussions about everything that people will talk about. Doctors. Some couples are convicted that each spouse should only visit doctors of the same sex. That is a conscience issue. Especially in this city. There's no requirement for it in the Bible. I would say let the best doctor win. Or let the cheapest doctor win. It doesn't matter. There's nothing in the Bible. And I know that some of you right now may be having, there is no one in this church more possessive of his wife and more overbearing in rules than your pastor when he was a teenager. But we tend to grow up after the teens. And I hope we all grow up. After the teens. This may seem obvious to some, but there's nothing in the Bible requiring such strictness. If you feel that way, then by all means, you use a doctor of the same sex for the sexes in your family. By all means, and we'll defend you 100%. And if it doesn't matter to you and you're wondering what in the world I'm even talking about, then don't worry about it. In all, likely, in all likelihood, situations are going to arise where both, both spouses will have unavoidable situations. And then your conscience is going to be really ripped. So one way to get around that is to get your conscience prepared ahead of time. It's okay, either side. I'm going to defend both sides. And the Lord's brought me a long way on a lot of these. Well, you must have turned into a libertine. No, just a lover of liberty. And being a pastor changed so many things that I think about because as soon as you're ordained and you have a conscience about your ordination, you realize you can't force your opinion on anyone else if it's not in the Bible. Then it's God's opinion. Or to the ease. Emails, texts, and tweets. It is a liberty to use these recent inventions for communication among those not needing the communication. Of course, there are professionals and mature adults that know how to use all three forms of communication. I just want to ask all of you fathers, because the, the techno sins, as I said in the f- first service today, scare me nearly to death. When the Bible says evil communications corrupt good manners, a father could control the evil communications that his son was exposed to 150 years ago very easily. It's so different now. And I want all of you to be consistent. I want all of you to be very careful and to be very observant and to remember of all that could be going on without you knowing about it. You say, well, don't you trust your children? I don't trust me. Why would I trust my children? The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? How consistent is it to despise television but allow children access to secret messaging? Peer pressure by texts are going to corrupt a child faster 
than some television series. Endorsements. It's a liberty to endorse a pagan company by being in the world and purchasing from them. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11 that God has not called us to go out of this world. Do you know that there are Christian organizations in this country that will send you a little email into your inbox whenever they have picked the next victim of one of their boycotts? It's just so cool. You can feel so godly that, boom, you've got mail, and you open your mail, and it's this organization that has committed itself to something entirely outside the Bible that you should no longer buy your toothpaste from Procter & Gamble or you should no longer buy your groceries from Bilo because they're issuing a number that you need for your groceries. And it goes on and on and on. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9-11, through 11, we can't go out of this world and we are totally at liberty to use this world without abusing it. Ellen Degenerate... You know who I'm speaking of. Ellen DeGenerate is a spokesperson for J.C. Penney. But buying there is just indirect association with her. Go ahead and buy it, J.C. Penney. Who cares who they use for their spokesperson? I've been around this for a long time. Do you know how big the manual would be? If we were to take the Pharisee side of all these issues, do you know how big? It would dwarf this book. This would look like a New Testament in comparison to the manual that we would have on how to be a good Christian at the Church of Greenville. Who's going to keep it up to date? How big would the committee be? Would we vote on the changes to it or would we trust someone else? You know, I could go on and on. This is the perfect law of liberty. God knows we have to deal with them in the world, and so he says He says this in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. I know you can't avoid company with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or with extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. I know you can't go out of the world, so I am allowing you to interact with all of them that are outside the church that do those things. But I have written unto you now not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be those things. When those things come into our church, we discipline them, exclude them, and put them out, and we don't have social interaction with those that were once brothers that committed those sins and we put out for their public sins. But the worldlings that are out there that commit those sins, we go to work with them, we employ ourselves under them, we employ them under us, we buy from them, we sell to them, we do everything we can to make a living from them. And we don't accomplish a thing except prove to the world that we are nuts when we have a boycott. You don't touch their business. Those little ridiculous family organizations that do that, they can't even measure them on their sales. Those little people have never even looked at a financial statement of Procter & Gamble to realize that they're so big that one one minute of earning would buy the entire family organization. They don't even understand the the, the scale of economics of these large companies. And they think they're going to hurt them? All they do is tell the world that they're nutcases. And so it falls on us that we're nutcases because we believe the Bible, because we have these ridiculous boycotts about toothpaste coming from a company where somebody has believed a lie for 30 years that the board of directors worship Satan. Epidurals. Enough been said. Facebook. Social media. It's your liberty to be stupid and teach your children narcissism and expose them to fools. It's your liberty. Those are the temptations. It's just like having a television. It's a liberty. But the amount of evil that comes through a television, the preaching of the devil that comes through a television needs to be brought up. And so I have to bring it up as your pastor to warn you about these things. Can Facebook be used for a good purpose? With great difficulty. And mainly professionals. Just a warning. Yes, I'm going to leave it a liberty, but I'm going to warn you about the danger of Facebook. There is no good thing that comes out of Facebook by anyone using it other than a professional. There is no good thing. 
If you don't even know what narcissism is, go home and look it up. And learn about self-love and self-promotion and self-esteem and all the junk that goes on in social media where everybody wants... They talk about their friends. Those aren't friends. A friend will lay down his life for you. And you don't get a friend like that through Facebook. A friend loveth at all times. But you don't get those through Facebook. You get those in an entirely different way of making friends. Can a person grow in maturity while using Facebook? With great difficulty and likely not. Social media have great risks, especially for children you are trying to help grow up and to grow up well. It's just childish. Parents must consider the dangers of techno-sins. If you have a business and you're not big enough to have your own website and you want a Facebook page for your business, go for it. If you're a professional and you're not as professional as those on LinkedIn, then go ahead and have a Facebook page. You say, I think you just made a comparison between LinkedIn and Facebook, and you haven't figured that one out yet? Facial hair. It sure is a fuss for Amish and Mennonites, isn't it? Gotta have a beard. Charlie, you pass. It's a liberty, in spite of the fuss that Amish and Mennonites or others may make about beards. Look at Leviticus 19. Let's look at one of their Bible verses. Did you know there's a Bible verse that says you can't shape your beard? Did I say that Facebook was a sin? Did I just warn you about it? That's all I did. It's a liberty. It's in my liberties. I wish I could pull it out, but I can't. Because the Bible won't let me. I hate it. He said, we got that message. Okay. I'm just your pastor wanting to warn you about the effect that it has on youth. Leviticus 19, verse 27. Ye shall not round the corners of your heads, neither shalt thou mar the corners of thy beard. In the Bible. I guess that settles that. All those of you that have shaved, you have really cornered your beard. You have cornered it all the way down to the skin. We go by the next verse of, it, of the context telling us that this is for religious cuttings. Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. That this is not simply cutting your hair or cutting your beard, but this is doing it for religious purpose. We make this decision of interpretation on passages like this. We don't just pull out the one verse and make that a rule. Otherwise, what happened to David and those men? Were all their beards on the floor? Were they in the Guinness Book of World Records for having passed that Indian that his beard got down to the floor? What happened to his hair? Since it says, ye shall not round the corners of your heads. That doesn't mean your skull. That means your hair. We trust that this is warnings against the religious practice of the Canaanites of cutting themselves in the flesh, marking their flesh, cutting their beards in certain ways, and cutting their hair in certain ways, like a bald spot right there. Ever seen anybody like that? For religious purposes? The warning against hair or beard styling is in a context of pagan religion. You may like or dislike goatees on men, but it is a liberty until you put it on a woman. A goatee on a woman is not a liberty. It's not feminine enough for a woman. For those of you that could grow one, forgive me for that one. You know, all my boys know what dad thinks about goatees and they can't wait to get married. Some of you girls were married half for goatees and half for you. And that's okay. 
I hope no one's offended with that either, that has my last name. It's a liberty. I want to talk that way about it. I have opinions on these subjects. But I'm not going to, and I'm not, I'm not teaching my opinion. When I talk about Facebook, I am warning you as a pastor sent from God. I am not talking about my personal opinion on that thing. I'm talking about the dangers of it, and I wanted to warn you. Finance companies. Say, finance companies? Are you kidding me? What are you bringing that up for? Are you kidding? I've had to face this one over and over and over again. Every church member, here's a hot one. How can a Christian work for a bank company charging usury? Do you know what they think usury is? Any interest rate above 3%. What's usury in the Bible? Charging interest to the poor that can't afford it for something they need. Did God want Israel to loan money and charge interest to foreign nations? Oh, yes. That was the measure of success when they had the capital to loan foreign nations and collect interest from them. For those of you that work at finance companies or have worked at finance companies, I have defended your liberty. And I have defended it repeatedly to a number of parties who opposed it. These poor people that hate finance companies hardly understand usury, let alone the Bible protection of its own poor. Its own poor. The Bible doesn't protect all poor. The Bible protects the poor of God's church and God's kingdom. If it weren't for finance companies, the poor could never get a loan for their goodies that they crave. You say, well, it's not in their best interest to borrow. Then why don't you start a campaign by going down to West Washington and start preaching about how it's not in their best interest to borrow for goodies that they crave. If if you've really got a conscience in the matter, show us your sincerity by getting out there and starting a little campaign. You know, when the the world comes out with a thin screen TV and they've got one of those TVs with a tube that's four feet deep and they want one of those little modern things, they come into a finance, nobody else is going to loan them money. No one else will let them in the door. Because to look at their credit score and to find it a negative number is detrimental to their borrowing power. So they go to a finance company. So the finance company gives them 500 bucks to go buy one of these little thin screen LCD televisions and charges them 100% interest so that over the next 24 months they pay $1,500 back, but they have their thin screen TV to show off to their family and they got it when they wanted it. The people that work for them do not make the policies, do not see the poor, do not know if they're borrowing for their food, except we know this, no one goes into a finance company to borrow for their food. They're going in there to borrow on goodies that they want. And so we allow it. The minute we say that you can't work for a finance company and be an accountant, you can't work for a finance company and and work in payroll, you can't work for a finance company, then you can't cut grass for the Methodist church down the street. You can't do trees for the Presbyterian church. You can't do trees for an atheist. You can't put in glass for a Roman Catholic. Once we start down that road, where do we stop? I hope that all of you men that have been to men's meetings know that this study of Christian liberty goes hand in hand with the study on Christian ethics. The two of them together give us the wisdom that we need to know how to function in this world. Finance companies do a favor for the poor. They let them have things that they would never have. Do you know why? Because they can't save. That's partly why they're poor. They can't save. So the finance company gives them some capital. And yes, they charge a pretty high rate of interest. Do you know why they charge a pretty high rate of interest? Because most most is probably not the right word. Many of them don't repay. It was very interesting coming from a banking job to Greenville and learning more about finance companies to realize that the assets of a commercial bank are this big. The assets of a finance company are about this big. The interest rate that a commercial bank charges is about this big. The interest rate that a finance company charges is about this big. 
so that when you get to the operating margin of the company, isn't that interesting? It's the same. Isn't that, isn't that phenomenal? Because the loan losses that those guys take at the finance companies is unbelievable. A commercial bank runs about 1% loan losses on its loans. And who wants to, anybody want to give me a, no, don't give yourself away. Um, you know too much about finance companies if you were to answer that question. It's a huge number. It's a legitimate business. No one's starving for food. And the poor people that go in there and work as a payroll clerk or that go in there and work as an accountant or any other position, they are not the ones that are making a loan. They're not hurting a single person. And if you start down the road without a Bible verse and say finance companies are wrong, I'll condemn every single job eventually. Because you're associated with evil one way or another. I came from a church where I was ordained where one family confronted the church and told them that they had to deal with a church member that owned a hotel. See, it's down here in the H's, and I'm sorry for not being able to get to the H's today, but it's called hotel ownership. See, I come from a church where a family confronted the church and told them, you will deal with this brother who owns a hotel or we are leaving. How in the world can you condemn hotel ownership? Because fornication and adultery occurs in hotels sometimes. That's how. And see, once you start down this road, where are you going to stop? A person that owns a hotel is not forcing anyone to commit fornication or adultery. All they're providing is a safe bed for you to sleep overnight. And if a prostitute goes in there and uses it four times in a night, that's between her and God. And every effort is made to keep that kind of scum out. And efforts were made to keep that kind of scum out. And I could go into a 15-minute dissertation here about efforts made to keep that kind of scum out owning a hotel in a bad part of town. But do you know what they're really providing? A safe place for people who are never safe to go and have a room with a little bit of comfort and clean bedding and a television and a lock on the door. But you know what? If we get if we get this narrow sighted, all we can think of is adultery occurs there, and by owning one, you are contributing to adultery in America. Two more, and we'll get rid of the F's. Firearms. <laughs> Enough said about that, I guess. Quakers, Mennonites, Amish, and others will not own firearms by their connection to violence. My maternal grandmother was that way. My maternal grandmother. Couldn't stand guns from Canada. The difference of the Detroit River is pretty impressive. The difference between a Canada and America right now is pretty impressive. The difference in socialistic thinking of, on, in both countries. Firearms. Some can only think of the risk to children. Others can only think of means of protection. Some say it shows a lack of faith in God. Others say it shows faith by using God's means. I remember hearing ancient Harold Seitler years ago at Tabernacle Baptist Church over on Whitehorse Road. He was a Baptist of Baptists, and he was a King James lover, and he was preaching one night, and I happened to be there a long, long time ago, and he told about, he was telling the church in the middle of a sermon about traveling for his preaching and how before he was to go to sleep, he'd get down by his knees and ask the God of heaven to put his angels in that room and to protect him. And then he would get his 357 out of his briefcase and put it on the bedstand next to him and sleep peacefully all night. That's like, you know, that's like the Oliver Cromwell movie that our church has in its library where Oliver Cromwell is riding back and forth in front of all the troops that are about to take on a much larger force of the King of England. And he tells them, put your trust in the Lord, but keep your powder dry. We put the two together. We trust God to bless our means. When the Bible says we shouldn't put our trust in princes and we shouldn't put our trust in chariots, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a chariot. When the Bible says, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain, there is still a watchman in Psalm 127 and verse 1. One more, fortune cookies. Now, any of those of you who know me know that I am showing you now my honesty, I hate fortune cookies. Those horrible tasting cookies of Chinese restaurants with a message are just a mere gimmick. 
I call them Ouija boards in a bag. Most, most of you don't even know what a Ouija board is. You've never seen it in use. My grandfather was a devil worshiper. And I hate anything to do with that stinking little fortune cookie that even little children learn very quickly. They just want to get their hands in that little thing and pull it apart and pull that little piece of paper out and see some little ridiculous statement that somebody's written on it. But there are people that have sold themselves over the devil that rely on things like that for communicating with spirits. And my grandfather was one until Jesus Christ saved him just before my father was born. They would sit in a room and address the devil. I'm not talking about indirect association with spirits. I'm talking about the religion called spiritism. I don't like fortune cookies. So I gave you my liberty. I just gave away my liberty on that. I don't like fortune cookies. But if you despise them like a Ouija board in a pastry, then by all means don't use them. But if you know that they are a stupid tradition and tell your children so, then mock the little notes and have fun with them. And if for some reason God has deprived you of taste buds and you enjoy them, then go ahead and eat them. And if I'm with you, you're going to get two. Just remember that. If you take me to a Chinese restaurant, you get two fortune cookies. You say, well, you're just making up funny stuff. No, I'm not. They bother the daylights out of me. To see a little kid just go after them wanting to get that little message inside, that's like, a, that's like a child or a youth wanting to find out what sign they were born under. How many in here are Aries? <laughs> Nobody wants to raise their hands. <laughs> see, I remember. I want to know what sign I was born under. I remember the fifth grade. Them introducing me to a Ouija board. You think it was in a Christian school? You're thinking wrong. So I don't like those kind of things. But you know, if you take me to a Chinese restaurant and you eat mine, you eat my wife's, and you eat any children that I have there, I'm just going to ask you, do you like good food? Because it doesn't matter. These are Christian liberties. Do you know what unites us together? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Neither Greek nor Jew, neither male nor female, neither bond nor free, barbarian, Scythian, circumcision, uncircumcision, none of it matters. I don't believe there's a single person in here that opens up that fortune cookie, takes that little note home, tapes it to their mirror in their bathroom and believes that that's going to happen to them the next week. And so that's why I don't have a problem with fortune cookies. It's your little liberty to that ridiculous thing. You know, when we go into a Chinese restaurant, we've already sinned before we get to the fortune cookie. Do you know how we've sinned? Because to get to your table, you've already passed a fat-bellied Buddha. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word to the comfort and instruction of your souls that we will love each other and allow each other liberties and not worry about any of these things. But let our brothers and sisters have their liberty and hold fast to the things that ought to unite us. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, our salvation by Him, an apostolic doctrine that is laid out for us in the New Testament. Amen. Amen.